Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And if you're taking notes, the title of my message is, It's Not a Problem Until It Is. It's not a problem until it is. How many of you, you would say that you are the camping type? You enjoy camping, uh, a few of you. How many of you, you're more of an indoor cat? You're just like, not for me. Does it count as camping? If there's like, if I'm in a hotel, they both involve luggage and going elsewhere. Um, I'm not really much of a camper, but I did go camping uh, with some friends of mine. This would have been a couple years ago, and uh, they were like, hey, we're going to go off to this spot, and I wanted to hang out with them, and so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to move out of my comfort zone. I'm going to do this thing, and there was a couple just realities about being out in the wilderness that I wasn't anticipating. The first is somebody else packed the food, Um, and so, you know, there were some things that were there or weren't there that I was used to. One of the things that they did not include is one of my favorite food groups, uh, which is Diet Coke. And they did not bring any. How many of you consider Diet Coke a food group? Okay, yeah. So just normal Christians. Um, So, and they didn't have it. And instead they were just like, no, we just brought, we're just gonna do water. And I'm like, I like to get my water in the Diet Coke. And they're like, but I guess you can just drink it by itself. Um, And so they didn't have any of that. The other thing too is that Um, There was no cell service, so my phone did not work the whole time that we were out there, and in fact, after about, you know, 15, 20 minutes, I was like, I'm just going to put it in my backpack. It doesn't even make sense for me to have it on me because it's not going to work, and I learned some things about myself on this camping trip that I really, I didn't want to know, but uh, now I can't unknow them, and the first thing I discovered was how many times I reached for my phone. This is an unsettling thing for me. Like how many times, even though I didn't have service, my phone was off and not on my person, how many times I still felt like it was buzzing in my pocket? Anybody else had this experience before? And how many times I reached down and then I panicked and I didn't know where it was and then I wanted to pick it up and look at it and it just, like it was unnerving to me. There was, there was a couple times where I didn't, I didn't think it was buzzing, but I just wanted it. You know, and I was embarrassed by how much I wanted it. There was one moment where we're watching the sunset and it's beautiful and they were all admiring it. And I had this thought of like, kind of wish I had my phone, you know, which is horrible, right? Uh, I'm like, you know, because if I had my phone, I could scroll through and and look at other types of sunsets and see if there's another (laughs) sunset on Instagram that I also enjoy, you know. What, What a weird moment. Right? Uh, you know, I, I'm like, man, I, I love seeing a sunset. And God's like, here's one. And I'm like, it's okay. I'd rather search the hashtag in my car and see if I can find one that I like a little bit better. Uh, because they use filters, God, and yours is just a regular, you know? The other thing that happened to me that I didn't appreciate about myself was like, I started getting this horrible headache. Um, this is like a day in, and it was like one of those that like sort of takes over your head and it like gets behind your eye, and then you wanna take a spoon and like scoop your eye out and get the pain. And like it was just, it was hurting so bad. And I, I, I was like, I couldn't think about anyone else, anything else. And uh, it was, I was starting to make me queasy. And um, one of my buddies was like, I think I, I know what's wrong. And I'm like, what? And he's like, it's the Diet Coke, man. It's the cat. You're in caffeine withdrawal. And I'm like, no, I'm not. 
that Diet Coke is the nectar of the gods. I, there's no way that I could be having a problem because of it. And he's like, well, let's just test it. And I'm like, well, we'll find out that you're wrong, but yeah, sure. And so we went over to this neighboring campsite and they didn't have Diet Coke, but they had, a, they had Diet Pepsi, which is like the devil's version of Diet Coke. <laughs> you know how like the devil tries to like make a replica of what God is doing to lead people astray. So, um, so I went over and like, they were like, drink this and see what it does. So I drank it and like 20 minutes later, my, my headache lifted. And my response was, oh no. Like, this is a thing. Like, this is a legitimate problem that I have. And my buddy was like, how many Diet Cokes are you drinking? I'm like, the normal amount and nothing crazy. And he's like, what's the normal amount? And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't want to tell him, you know, because it was like, I don't know, 12 cans. And he was like, that is a whole box. That's crazy, man. And I was like, well, I know that now that I feel sick. Do you think that guy could get us some more Diet Pepsi? Normally, I wouldn't settle but I won't get the shakes. <laughs> and here's why I bring this up. I wonder if you have ever had a moment where you suddenly realized that you are more dependent on something than you want to be. And maybe that, that, maybe that for you happened in sort of the same way it did for me is you didn't really think about it until you didn't have access to it. And then it became really obvious. Like the compulsive nature that you developed this thing. Like when you're stressed, anxious, or uncomfortable, it's this thing that you impulsively reach to to soothe yourself in a specific way because in your mind, you're just like, man, if I could just do that, I would feel better. I don't like how I feel right now, but if I could just do that, go there, get this, like I would feel so much better. And if you had a moment like this, maybe it was similar to me where you're like, yeah, but it's just like a little thing, you know? And so you sort of dismissed it. You brushed it off. You know, you told yourself, it's like, not like I'm, you know, scoring crack under a bridge, you know, unless that is what you're doing. And <laughs> if that is what you're doing, I'm glad you're here. It's gonna be a very helpful series for you and the rest of us. But you're like, my thing is small. It's subtle. It's easily accessible. It's socially acceptable. But in reality, if you look at it long enough, you'll realize that the relationship that you've developed with it is something that could be classified as addictive behavior. And I think this is like one of those words that gets thrown around so much that we think we are talking about the same thing, but maybe we're not. And so I wanna give you just a ground level definition of addiction so that throughout this series, we're all on the same page. Addiction is a compulsive dependence on something to shift your mood. It's marked by heightened cravings an inability to abstain, to not do it, and a willful ignorance of the relational problems your fixation is causing. And some of you, when you look at this definition, you're having the same response that I did on the campsite. You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> because you're realizing that when you look at what addiction actually is instead of what you've assumed that maybe it is, you realize that it's possible to become addicted to almost anything. And whatever your thing is, the relationship that you have with it probably looks something like, you know, I don't feel good. And so I need to do this to feel a little bit better. And I deserve it. You know, life is hard. And this is how I get through. And you do get through. And for a lot of us, that's kind of all we're doing. We're just sort of getting through. It's not really making you a better person. It's just enabling you to survive. In fact it might actually be making aspects of your life worse 
taking away from some of your relationships, tempting you to compromise your value system in order to acquire it, damaging or eroding your health in certain ways, all of which you justify, right? Because you can't stop. You need it. And again, you're like, let's be clear, it's not illegal, okay? So it should be okay. I mean, it's just a bowl of ice cream. It's just a glass of wine, just another pair of shoes, just another couple episodes, just another few swipes, just another level of this game. And that thing, whatever it is for you, becomes your fix because when you indulge in it, it feels like it has fixed you, at least for a moment, until it wears off. And then you need it again. Only this time you need a little bit more or probably even a heightened version of it. And this is the question that I want you to wrestle with today during this message. What is that thing for you? Maybe it's not even one thing. Maybe it's a couple things. Maybe it's a series of things. But what is that for you? I think whatever it is, it's probably something that would fill you with anger, anxiety, dread, and despair if someone asked you to give it up for 90 days. Like imagine the thing where you're like, well, somebody would say it was this, but it's not that. Give it up for 90 days. And immediately you would push back and be like, that's unreasonable, okay? I mean, I'm not addicted to it, but like 90 days, that's crazy, okay? Like, and it's not, okay, it's not even that I can't go without it. I just don't want to, okay? And I shouldn't have to. It's unfair for you to ask me to. But in reality, you can't imagine your life without it. And no one is immune to this. In fact, probably one of the most spiritual people who's ever lived, the Apostle Paul, who is credited with having written the majority of the New Testament, he talks about this exact thing that you and I struggle with. Romans chapter seven, verse 15 says this. I don't really understand myself. For I wanna do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I wanna do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do that anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me. Is this not one of the most relatable scriptures you've ever heard in your life? Some of you are like, this, I don't want it to be, but this might be my life verse. You know, it's embarrassing. I'm not going to stencil it anywhere, but like, yeah. I get it. This is, yes, it's speaking to me, right? Where you look at your thing and you're just like, I don't like that I keep doing it. I go back and forth between hating it and also justifying it. And at this point, it's kind of automatic. My, my draw to it, it's like a compulsion. And I'm starting to feel like maybe it has more control of me than I have over it. I don't like that. And the thought of that when you realize it is so unnerving, most of us do the same thing. We're like, you know what I'm gonna do to address this? I'm just gonna ignore it, uh, is what I'm gonna do. Because my thing's not that bad. But the more we do it, the more we rely on it, and then the less power we have to stop it. And we tell ourselves, you know what? I can quit whenever I want to. But everybody around us knows that's just something that we say to keep from having to face this thing that we don't know how to fix. And that thing, whatever it is for you, continues doing damage, bringing you closer to the inevitable consequences that you keep telling yourself that you are too smart 
to incur. And this is so prevalent that there are examples of it everywhere. In fact, I wanna show you a, a specific example from the Old Testament. And it is this guy named Samson. And he was destined to be this great leader and protector of Israel. He's one of their judges who essentially operated as the leader of the Israelite people. And so ever since he was a kid, since before he was born, he was being told that he was special. And here's the crazy part. He was. He was special. I mean, like he had supernatural strength and that strength empowered him to have all kinds of incredible success. But he had this code that he had to live by in order to sustain this God-given position and power. It was something called the Nazarite vow. And there are three parameters that govern the Nazarite vow. The first one is you can't drink any wine. Some of you are like, I'm out. I'm not gonna, I don't feel called to be a Nazarite. That's good for Samson, but you know what you were getting into. So you can't drink any wine. The second one is you can't cut your hair. And the third one is the hardest. You can't touch any dead bodies. And I know for some of you, you're like, well, then how are we going to have fun on the weekends? You know, because if I pulled you, I'm like, what did you do last night? You're like, does the usual, went to 7-Eleven, got a Slurpee, touched some dead bodies. You know, just having a good time. Not allowed. And so essentially, like some of this stuff feels unrelatable, but I think the, the basis of it is really this. Samson chose, because he has to make this decision for himself, he chose not to do certain things that he technically can do. They're not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but he chose not to do certain things that actually other people do and are okay for them so that he could give all of his focus and attention to his calling, to what he believed God had purposed for him to do, which is noble. But at the same time, it was stressful. Like all the stress of other people's expectations on his life sort of split his life in two. And he, he kind of, when you watch his life from this point on, he kind of operates almost as two different people that slowly begin to merge over time. Like, and on one hand, there's sort of all of this stuff that he has to do, that he's supposed to do, that he's expected to do. And then there's this other part of him in another column, which is all of the stuff that he does to deal with the pressure of all the things that he's supposed to do and are expected of him. And the interesting thing about Samson, because of his position in life, like whenever he wasn't feeling good, he could pretty much get anything he wanted to make himself better. And that was sort of exclusive to him at that time and place. But now we can all do this. It's called the internet, right? Is there anything that you would want that you couldn't get delivered to your house within the hour? Probably not. I was trying to like solve this. I'm like, there's gotta be some exceptions. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, oh, oh no, actually you probably could get that within an hour, right? Almost anything you could think of. I know some of you are like, I can think of some things. Don't Google them, okay? You don't want to know the real answer. It's going to get weird. Because the reality of it is that we face, and I think Samson faced, is the easier it is to access something you enjoy, the harder it is not to indulge in it. I mean, it's pretty much easy to say no to something that you don't have access to. Like, well, I'm not going to do that. I mean, do you have the opportunity? 
well, no, but it's a choice. (laughs) But when you can get whatever you want whenever you want it, it's hard not to just give it to yourself. Our technology actually aids our addictions. Now, granted, like Samson didn't have access to an iPhone, according to my research, okay? But he did have servants. And so here's some things that he wanted brought to him. Judges chapter 14, verse 2. Samson told his parents, a young Philistine woman caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Wow. It was like a first, just Uber Eats right here. Just like, this is what I want. Deliver it to my doorstep. I'm timing you. It's cold. Judges 14, verse 8 says this. Later, when he was out walking, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of a lion, as you do. We've all been there. We've been there, guys. And he found a swarm of bees had made honey in it. So he scooped down, um, scooped some of the honey into his hands, and he ate it as he went along the way. And he also gave some to his parents, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them where he got it, right? Which I get, right? This is delicious. Is this local? Yeah. Super. Where'd you get it? You know, this is it's around, you know. Don't worry about it. Judges chapter 15, verse 3. Samson, again, like, people would make him mad. Like, if ever there was an opportunity they didn't give him what he wanted, he would freak out. Outsized reaction. This is what happened another time. Judges 15, verse 3. Samson said, this time I can't be blamed for anything I'm going to do to you. <laughs> then he caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs, and he fastened a torch to each one. Then he lit the torches and the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned it all to the ground, including their vineyards and olive groves. Intense and impressive. I mean, you ever tried to catch one fox? It's impossible. Then you got to tie them together. Very difficult. I mean, the difficulty level of this is impressive, but it's also horrible. And I think you could look at even just these examples and many more in his life, and you could say, like, well, Samson's addiction is lust or gluttony or rage. But I think it was pride. Because his mindset was, I should be able to do anything I want whenever I want to to make myself feel better. And some of you are thinking, like, that's addiction? I thought that was just what it was to be an American. I... And it kind of is, which is why this series is so relevant. (laughs) And yet Samson does the thing we all do. He looked at his life and he was just like, I'm not addicted. Right? Addiction is when you keep doing something even though, like, the net return on it is something harmful to you. Because I'm pretty sure that I'm exempt from the consequences. Like, I'm the exception to the rule, because it's not negatively affecting me. Other people may have an issue with it, but not me. But although his life hadn't totally collapsed, it was deteriorating. His integrity, his relationships, his goals and reputation were all eroding. He was becoming more self-focused, demanding, short-tempered, and entitled. But he doesn't see any of this stuff because he's just moving from fix to fix. He's unable to see the ripple effect it's having on his life and his community. And so like everybody who has something that they're addicted to, he just keeps pushing the boundary. 
In Judges chapter 16, verse 4, it says that sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be tied up securely, we'll pay you. And so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. <laughs> like talk about somebody who's like, you said it, I did it, okay? I, under, I don't know if she, did she write it down? Babe, there's something I want to ask you. And then she's just reading off the thing. So she asked him, and first of all, I just want to say, weird conversation, okay? Just that ought to be enough of a red flag, you know? You're so cute. <laughs> How can I destroy you? What? And the weird thing is he tells her, he doesn't tell her the real thing, but he tells her something. And then she tries it, right? Like she brings these other guys in and they try and tie him up and destroy him. It doesn't work because he didn't tell her the right thing. And so he gets, he breaks out of there and he gets free. And his very first thought afterwards is like, that was weird. What a bizarre coincidence <laughs> that I told her that thing. And then some other people, probably unrelated to her, came in and tried to destroy me. You know what I'm going to do tonight? I think I'm going to go see that girl again. <laughs> Which seems so crazy to us. And yet, this is exactly what he does. It's clear that like she's trying to hurt him, but he doesn't allow himself to acknowledge it because he is blinded by the high of the relationship. That's addiction, right? When we are able to not see what everybody else sees, the negative impact of whatever that thing is on our life, and we can't see it and we keep returning to it because we need the fix that we're getting from it. And part of the reason we stay in denial of our addiction so long is that we are using the wrong measuring stick. We say to ourselves the same thing that Samson does. It's not completely destroying me yet. As opposed to asking, is this preventing me from being the best version of myself? And that's a question that we don't want to ask because we already intuitively know the answer. And this is talked about all through the New Testament. Um, Again, the apostle Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave, an addict to anything. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, another New Testament author says this, because of that fact, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And essentially what these New Testament authors are telling us is we all have a race to run, right? We all have a God-given purpose to pursue, and all sorts of things can get in the way of that. Just because something isn't sinful doesn't mean it isn't slowing you down. Doesn't mean it isn't in your way. Doesn't mean it isn't stealing from your life. And a lot of times, even though we can tell that maybe it's not entirely good for us, we tell ourselves, but it's not illegal. The Bible doesn't specifically condemn it. My friends don't care. Is it good for me? No, but like it's allowed. God's deal with Samson was that if he kept the Nazarite vow, he could keep his strength. But here's what I find interesting. 
What actually ruined his life, a toxic romance with this woman, wasn't a part of that vow. In other words, what he did to wreck his own life wasn't forbidden. It was just stupid. And some of you, like, this is the same reality, right? It's not technically forbidden. And everyone's like, I know, it's just dumb, man. I imagine, like, Samson's friends, like, telling him, like, should you be hanging out with that girl? I mean, like, I don't know. She doesn't seem good for you. And he's like, whoa, slow down. She's not a dead body. Okay? We've never, we didn't drink on any of our dates together. And so far, none of our hookups included haircuts. So I feel like, I feel like this should be okay. And they're like, I don't know, man. I mean, you're sneaking around a lot. You know, you're blowing off responsibilities. It's getting in the way of relationships that you say you care about. And you seem angry a lot, like more than normal. And he's like, no, uh <laughs> No, I'm not angry. And you know what? If you say that again, so help me God, I will find 300 foxes and I will burn your house down. And his friends were like, this is the exact thing I was talking about. And here's the thing, like in terms of self-diagnosing yourself, one of the biggest indicators of addiction is defensiveness around that issue. If you cannot allow anyone to talk to you about it logically, that's a problem. Because in your mind, you get to this place where you're like, obviously anybody who calls me out on it doesn't know what they're talking about, clearly. And so we ignore the warning signs until one comes along that's too painful to ignore. And the facade crumbles. And you get this rush of clarity that reveals to you, oh, I, I don't think I can manage this. And in fact, I really haven't been able to for a long time. I've been lying to myself about its hold on my life. Step one of the 12-step recovery process is to admit that you are powerless over your addiction and that life has become unmanageable. And here's why you begin in this place. Because until you're ready to humbly admit that your fix won't fix you, your pride will prevent you from inviting God to do it for you. And he's the only one who can. Now, let me tell you something that you don't want to hear. Some of you are like, you mean more stuff? What? <laughs> Things not working out the way you want them to is sometimes God's gift to you. Because until and unless there's something that you realize that you cannot manage, you won't surrender your existence to the true manager. So it's ultimately a loving act, but we don't always see it as such because although, you know, when God is allowing us to suffer these consequences of our own sin or the weight that we've been carrying around that isn't working for us, it doesn't feel like a gift, especially when it's a particularly painful consequence. And for Samson, it was. There were moments where he could have like stopped himself and he never took any of those off ramps. And so one day he actually keeps, keeps going back to this woman and then one day he actually does tell her what will destroy him. And I mean, she's already demonstrated what she's gonna do with that information and she utilizes it. And so 
We find out in Judges chapter 16, verse 21, that they captured Samson, gouged out his eyes, bound him with chains, and forced him to grind grain in prison. It sounds extreme, and there's a reason for that. It is very extreme. But it's astounding to me just what it takes for some people to realize that their fix is a dead end and that they actually need to deal with it. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I have sat with people who have sort of been in one of the worst moments of their existence and said things to me like, you know, until I lost everything, I didn't realize that money is not the answer. It wasn't until I got fired that I realized I'm a workaholic. It it wasn't until my wife left me that I suddenly thought, I think I have a problem with pornography. It wasn't until I had a heart attack that I realized I can't keep eating like this. I can't keep working in this stressful environment. It's taking a toll. And here's the question I think you ought to wrestle with. What do you stand to lose if you don't change? I don't know what your thing is, but there is a cost attached to it. Hopefully it's not your eyes and your freedom. That's horrible. But there's a chance it might be your health or your job or your friends or your partner or your dignity or your influence or your character or your ability to continue to respect yourself. And I just think like, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to learn the hard way? Step three of the 12-step program is to make a decision to turn your will and life over to the care of God as you understand him. And when people do this, it is transformative. The question is, what is it gonna take for you to do that? Because most of us, we tend to wait until it's our only remaining option. I tried all the other stuff and it wasn't until the worst possible thing happened that I was like, you know what? I think I need some help. I think I have a problem. You know what would be smarter? Acknowledging that your thing is an issue before it gets that bad and changing before you have to. Like at the moment where you realize, like I can see the trajectory of where this is going. Other people are alerting me to it. I can sort of see like where it's, I don't want to believe that, but like logically I know. And so I need to make a change now before it's too late. King David is like this prominent figure in the Old Testament. He talks about his process for doing this. Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 139 Verse 23 says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 12 12 steppers call this taking a fearless moral inventory. It's step four. And the reason that David goes out into the wilderness and spends time asking God to reveal to him what his issues are, are for one very important reason. He doesn't know what they are. 
And maybe you're looking at the people around you and you're like, how can they not know? How can they not see the impact it's having? The negative ripple effect that it's causing. How can they not see? And the reality of it was, most of us don't see the things that are really wrecking our lives because the one person who can't seem to see how we're getting in our own way is us. Some of the smartest people I know struggle with the very things they're helping other people with. And everyone's like, how do they not see? Because the person you are the best at lying to is you. You can't see it because you don't want to, because you're incentivized not to, because it's inconvenient for you to look at the problem that you're experiencing. And if you're one of those people who feels like you have no blind spots, you are the blindest of them all. And your day of reckoning is coming because the reality of it is, whatever you continue to do, even though it hurts you, is something only God can fix in you. And this is why Jesus, when he's having a conversation with people that he's addressing things in their life in the same way that the Holy Spirit is probably identifying things to you about your life. And they're just like, yeah, but that's impossible. I, I can't deal, I've tried. It's, you can't, that's something that I can't overcome. And Jesus' reply to them is this, in Mark chapter 10, verse 27, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God everything, including your impossible thing. And this is why I think acceptance that you have an issue, admitting that you have a problem is a way harder step than anyone anticipates because it is hard to believe that God loves you enough to graciously bail you out of the impossible mess you've gotten yourself into. But he does, and he can, and he will, but not without your consent and participation. If you are waiting around for God to do it for you without you admitting it's an issue and willing to partner with him through the process of healing, you're gonna be waiting forever. God does not force change on you that you don't consent to. So how do you actually do this? You know, earlier, the writer of Hebrews in 12, chapter 12, verse one, tells us that we need to strip off the weight that slows us down and the sin that trips us up so that we can run the race or, you know, keep focus on the purpose God has for our life. And then he says this in verse two. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And essentially he's saying like the only way that you can overcome the things that seem unovercomable in your life is to surrender your will to something that is bigger than you because if you could have fixed this thing about you, you would have done it already. You don't have it in you, but the good news is there's a gracious God who loves you enough to hold a mirror up to your situation and say, do you see what I see? I know you've been avoiding it because it's gonna be difficult to address because it's ugly, because it's not really who you wanna be, but you don't know how to stop and you can't without me. 
But not only am I initiating this process in your life, I'm gonna carry it to completion. Ironically, Samson wasn't able to keep his eyes on God until he lost them. And we can't strip off what's holding us back without surrender. And that's a process. And that process always requires two things that we hate most, patience and humility. And in prison, Samson was gifted both patience, and humility. Listen to this verse. This always gets me every time I read it. Judges chapter 16, verse 22. But before long, Samson's hair began to grow back. And here's why this is significant. Samson's hair was the, the secret to his strength. But I don't know if you know this about hair. Hair grows slow, especially when it's been shaved. Any ladies who cut emergency bangs during COVID, discover this reality. Instantly you were like, uh-oh, that was a mistake. Looks like we're gonna have a standard picture for the Zoom calls for the next few months because hair grows slow. But here's what's interesting about this and the way that God like walks us through what we need to in order to be who we're meant to be. I mean, is there a more effective way to retrain someone with such severe impulse control issues as Samson than forcing them to wait for their own hair to grow? It sounds like torture, but it's training. It's training. It's God saying like, you weren't willing to figure this thing out. And so I'm gonna put you in an environment where you have the opportunity to be angry this whole time about where you are, or you can receive the gifts that it's here to give you. And that is unlimited time to deal with everything you've been avoiding. You see, God still had a purpose for Samson's life, but to fulfill it, he was gonna have to get up every single day, walk in circles, grind grain, and do the deep inner work with God that he'd been trying to ignore. And I would tell you, your process is gonna be exactly the same. It's gonna be getting up every single day and committing to certain habits that feel like you are walking in circles and you are gonna have to grind out the thing that you are doing that you don't feel like doing and you are gonna have to do the deep inner work with God that you've been avoiding. Instead of actually doing that work and exploring what's going on and why you do certain things and why you willingly are complicit in destroying yourself, actually spending time with God to explore why, to address the deep root of those things. Samson spends time in prison doing that thing. And in fact, God grows his hair and gifts him his strength back. And he's actually able to destroy the Philistine army from prison. How long did it take? When I was a kid, I thought like, oh, he was there for a couple days and then he was able to just do this thing. It takes more than a couple days for your hair to go down past your shoulders 
And the same token, it takes way more than a couple days to deal with all of the hurt and pain and trauma in your story that caused you to do the thing that put you in that place in the first place. God knows what he's doing. And this is what recovery looks like. If you came to this series hoping for some sort of like quick fix so you can just be done with it, I don't have that for you. I don't know that it exists. True healing is a process. But every journey starts with a single step. And the first step in recovery is admitting, I have a problem. I think I have a problem. And so this is the only homework. The big question for you to take away and wrestle with, what's yours? What's your problem? Maybe there's a couple. Because until you admit it to yourself, there's nothing God can do to fix it for you. But the moment you open up, admit it, and begin the process of surrendering to him, there's nothing God can't do in you. Would you bow your heads across this, this room today? I'm gonna just pray this into your life. God, we need you. We are grateful for your love, for your grace and mercy in each of our stories. As some of us, we are at a point in our life where we fully realize that we would be absolutely dead without you. We'd be alone. We don't know if we would have made it to this moment. All of us, we have these little self-destructive things that we do because we think it's gonna fix us, but it never does. It just leads us to wanting more and then feeling more empty when we get it. God, we have narrowed our idea of addiction down to something so small that it applies to everybody but us. And yet today, you're holding a mirror up and asking us to look at ourselves, to see what you see and realize that what you see about us, you don't see with anger and judgment and condemnation. You hold up the truth to us and say, there's a better way. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to be caught in this cycle. You don't have to do this anymore. It's damaging you and the people you care about most. And I wanna help you move in a different direction. Gotta pray that today and throughout this week that you would help us to see ourselves clearly that you would help us to be honest about where we're at, what we are genuinely struggling with, that you would help us to stop making excuses and you would help us to invite you in to begin to show us the way. God, we realize there are more steps we need to take, but none of them work without this first one. God, we surrender to you. Heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, 
help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.